love women's retreat. It's a really sweet spot, isn't it? Um, lots of laughter and yet um, lots of tears. <laughs> lots of lightheartedness and a lot of deep soul searching. You kind of tangle those things up and it's this tapestry of, of the mix or you just can call it a mess. <laughs> but it's our mess and it's a good mess because there are things that are deepening. As we go back and forth between laughter and life-giving messages and group discussions where people are hearing us and we're meeting people and we're building community, there's something that takes root and that goes deeper in our lives. It's, it's an important place to be and a good place to be. I love women's retreat. Another reason I love women's retreat is because you learn things at women's retreat. I mean, when you get this intergenerational group of women together, you learn things that you just didn't know before. I just want to be able to see you guys. So there we go. Okay. Um, so it was at women's retreat uh, that I learned that if you're playing cards late at night with a group of women and somebody forgot the cigars, <laughs> that there's always multicolored options, right, Karen Martin? <laughs> If you guys don't know this, Karen Martin is my sister-in-law. I've been coming to retreats for a long time, and I remember the night when we all had a table of cards going, and Karen brought, I'm pretty sure it was a whole box, and just kind of spread it out and said, cigars, anyone? So I learned that these have multi-purposes. Another thing I learned at women's retreat, okay, another thing I learned at women's retreat was, you know, they give us these name tags that have a clip. Okay, lanyards now, but sometimes you get these name tags that have a clip and just pretend I didn't have a flannel. Well, let's just do this. I don't have a flannel on. So where do you clip the name tag? Like where, like, so one of the things I learned at Women's Retreat is that they make these really, really cool stickers that you can just put on your shirt and then you have something to clip your name tag to. That is something I learned at Women's Retreat. I mean... That was a really important note that I, I learned here. Here's something, else, here's something else that I learned at Women's Retreat. I learned at Women's Retreat that it was possible that as I got older, I was going to start peeing a little bit when I sneezed. And the way that I learned this, how many of you remember Nancy Hill? Okay, Nancy Hill used to kind of do some comedy kind of shtick stuff for, and this, I won't even, so do, if you know Nancy, just forgive me right this minute, because I won't even come close, but Nancy one time at Women's Retreat in, go back a ways with me, in Canby Grove, okay, a long ways ago, a long time ago, she told this joke about how, you know, when you're young and you're single and you've never had any babies yet, you sneeze, and it's kind of this cute little thing, this little, it's you, <laughs> And then you like get a little bit older and you have a baby and it's still, it's kind of like a chew. And then you get like three kids later and 10 years older and it's just a full on a chew, <laughs> which happens in my kitchen on a regular basis. But it was also at women's retreat that I learned that peeing when you sneeze does not have to be your life. Right, Natalie? Last year at women's retreat, I learned that while it is normal, it is not necessary it is not normal. It's common, not normal. And so if you want to know more about that, talk to Natalie, who is not only a worship leader, but also a physical therapist that specializes in the pelvic floor and gave a great um, talk last year about what's common, but not normal. So if you came in early and saw Morgan and I practicing our breathing, it's because Natalie was trying to show us how to work on our coordination in all the places that would keep me from peeing when I sneeze. I'm telling you, you guys, women's retreat is a wealth. Oh, gosh, you're not. 
<laughs> Women's retreat is a wealth of new information. And just today, thank you. Yeah, those pictures make me nervous in social media age, but all, it's all good as long as it stays at women's retreat. Oh, gosh, if you need proof, just come to my house. Uh, if you couldn't hear, Sarah said it's the proof that Jen is human like the rest of us. So we got this table a long time ago. Jeff loved this dining room table that has like eight leaves and 18 feet. And we don't keep all the leaves in all the time, but I keep about half of them in because I love that I can stack my clean laundry on one end and still serve dinner on the other end. So yes, yes, I'm human. Uh, just today... I learned that I'm not the only one who had a perfect storm um, of, that, that put on 25 pounds in a year and that it's actually somewhat developmentally appropriate. Not that all of us do this, but if I hadn't been at women's retreat or at something with other women, here's the truth, you guys. Uh, my mom, God bless her, a beautiful woman, uh, died four years ago, uh, never weighed more than 115 pounds in her life. Couldn't. It would have been good for her if she could have. So I didn't know. Who tells you if you don't go to women's retreat? And somebody's honest enough to say, when you add a little bit of pre-menopause and a little bit of grad school and a little bit of emotional stress, it's really pretty developmentally appropriate. <laughs> we learn things at women's retreat. I truly, truly love the sweetness of God's presence, the joy of the laughter. Um, yeah, okay, now we'll get rid of this because that's, I know, just a little distracting. <laughs> All right, pivot, just a, just a big old pivot. We're not even going to try to connect all that. We, just, we just, just wanted to know, let you know why I love it so much. Several years ago, lots, because he's 21 now, our son, our oldest son, Josiah, was about three, four years old, and um, Jeff and I were having a discussion, a discussion. Now, we didn't really want to fight in front of the kids, and so we went to a back bedroom to have this discussion. And can I just pause and just give you a bonus here? If you have little kids, I don't recommend that. Um, <laughs> Our kids actually need to see modeled that tension is not scary, that conflict is not something to be feared, and that people who love each other can be gentle and kind and humble, even in the midst of conflict, and watch how it gets resolved. Um, in his um, adulthood, our oldest has come back to us and said, I don't feel very well prepared to figure out relationships because I didn't ever see you guys um, have a conflict. And we did. We just were careful not to have, and we don't have knockdown drag outs. That's not Jeff and Jennifer Roth. We're just not those kind of people. But this particular day, we were in the office uh, having a conversation. Josiah kind of kept interrupting. So Jeff finally looked him right in the eye and he said, Josiah, do not come back in unless it's an emergency. So he trots out. A few minutes later, he comes back in and, and we're, I mean, like it's, he's three, like he needs to learn, like you really can't interrupt mom and dad. And so we're starting, Josiah, what did we say? And he interrupts, he goes, but dad, there's a fire on the stove. <laughs> uh, Jeff is fairly notorious for starting something on the stove and walking away and forgetting that he started something on the stove. I, no, it's not a gas stove. I have done things like that a few times, but Jeff is fairly notorious. And I, th I believe that time it was oatmeal, maybe. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe just the oil was heating up for something he was going to cook. But so we ran out, took care of the fire. The house didn't burn down. But this idea of being interruptible. Are we interruptible? 
I'm guessing that when you were growing up, and depending on your generation, this might have been stronger or weaker, depending on your family and your, honestly, the church you grew up in, the denomination you grew up in, and what kind of, I was a child of the James Dobson theology, and interrupting wasn't allowed. It was disrespectful. If you're a child in a home, you don't interrupt the adults, right? And so this, we develop, I think, I know I did, and I'm guessing it's relatively universal. We develop this idea that is, I can't interrupt people. I shouldn't disrupt others. And we can almost get to a place in life where we feel like my life shouldn't be a disruption to anyone. I should be able to go through the world without creating ripples that disrupt anybody else. Go through the world without taking any space so that, so that I'm not, and, and I, that's not reality. That's not truth. God created us to create ripples and impact the people around us, right? But, but we get this idea that I shouldn't, I shouldn't disrupt anybody. I, I shouldn't interrupt anybody. And especially if that person has a problem that seems a little bit worse than mine, then I, then I you know, so you know, well, they're a little worse off than I do, and I need that less, so I'll, I won't take what I need, or I, I, I make way for others, right? Are you following me? This, this kind of sense of we've learned, those of us especially who grew up in the church, to be good Christian girls that laid on our lives for others, but did we actually get the message that we're never supposed to interrupt, we're never supposed to disrupt, we're never supposed to have needs, and we're always just supposed to put the other person first? And there is a Christian principle of submission to one another, of laying down our lives for others, but then there's also sort of this unhealthy, but I don't deserve any care, or I shouldn't have any needs, or I should, you guys, this came up in my life just a few weeks ago. Um, my daughter was having um, just a difficult time with something, and I, like, I could see her. I could see the stress level in her life. I understood exactly why she was needing to kind of do a little bit less. And you guys, I don't remember what it was about, but I remember thinking, oh, I'm going to have to pick up the slack because she doesn't have it today. But do I ever give myself permission to not have it today? My whole life picking up the slack for the people around me because I can see, I can give them grace for their hard days, their weakness, their tiredness, their emotional. I can give them grace for things, but do I have any grace for myself in my own needs and my own weakness? Do I believe that my God who loves me is interruptible, is disruptible, wants to know my needs, cares about my needs, cares about my desires, and do I even give myself permission to be worthy of needing those things? Or is the resistance to this idea so far down in the layers of who we are that we don't actually even recognize that we have needs because, well, there isn't any room for them to exist, so I might as well not spend much time thinking about them, right? Okay, there is a Bible story that goes along with this. I'm not just waffling all over the place for nothing. Um... <laughs> But this idea of God as someone who's interruptible, not so important with such urgent things that he doesn't have time for us. Um, we're going to look in Mark chapter 5 today, the story of the woman with the issue of bleeding is where we're going to sit. And what we're going to do together is we are going to, uh, I'm going to read the whole passage out loud. So if you have your Bible, you might want to open to Mark chapter 5. If you have it on your phone, you might want to look it up or you could just listen. It is, um, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. So if your Bible reads a little bit different, it's just because it's a different translation. And what I want you to be listening for in this story is sort of what jumps out at you. What do you notice? Because what we're going to do is we're going to actually have a whole room discussion here about what do you notice in this story? Before I just start telling you all the things I noticed in this story, 
I want to hear what you've noticed in this story. So listen with the intention of thinking through what is it that God catches your attention with in this story. And we're actually going to start in 521, which is a little bit prior to the time when he meets the woman with the issue of bleeding. So a little bit of background because I can't read you all of the book of Mark. By the way, if you're ever just stuck with your Bible reading, pull out a gospel. <laughs> they're easy reading, they're storylines, they're narratives, and they're so powerful looking at the character and the life of Jesus. So gospels are a great place to look if you've been stuck in your Bible reading for a while. So this is coming. We're starting reading when Jesus is, he's been on the other side of the lake and he's had that massive encounter with the demoniac where the legion went into all the pigs and went down into the lake. So he's had this massive spiritual encounter. They get back in the boat, they come across the lake and that's where we pick up here. So Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him, My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her and heal her so she can live. Okay, so he gets out of the boat. He's met with this urgent need. So Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors. And over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She'd heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped, and she could feel it in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. And now just for a couple verses, I'm going to flip over to the gospel in Luke because there's some details in this one that I want you guys to hear for this particular part of the story. So immediately the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it. And Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, someone deliberately touched me for I felt healing power go out from me. And when the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. And the whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. And back to Mark chapter 5, verse 34. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Oh, a couple more verses just to get back to Jairus. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There is no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. And it's not the story we're unpacking tonight, but it goes on to talk about how he goes to his house, tells the weepers and the mourners and the wailers that she's just asleep. He actually gets laughed at before he goes and raises her from the dead. Okay. Oh, in Luke, I was in Luke chapter 8 is where this story is. And the specific verses that I popped over to, because they just gave a little bit more detail, was 47. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So here's what I want to do for a little bit here. Um, I want us to just talk about what, what jumps out to you about this story. It might be something that's new in your mind tonight. It might be something that you've heard before, but I want us to teach each other. Um, but how many of you know that some of us are verbal processors and some of us are internal processors? Okay. So those of you like me, uh, if you know you're a verbal processor, how many of you, you're like, 
You know what you're thinking, you're ready to say it, okay? Hands down. Did you know that there are people in the world who don't know what they're thinking or want to say until they've had a chance to process it in their brain without saying it out loud yet? And so when we dive into a discussion as verbal processors without giving the internal processors a little bit of a chance to just kind of get their feet under them, we really kind of cut off at the knees the chance for them to be in, engaged in the conversation. So what we're going to do is we're just going to take like 30 seconds of just quiet while you guys look back over this passage um, and just kind of take a look at, is there something that God, uh, that jumped out at you? And you don't all have to share. It's a big room. We probably can't all share, but just want to give some people a chance. So a couple, uh, just a little bit of quiet here. Okay, with apologies to my internal processing friends, because I know that wasn't even long enough, but it was just the compromise I could come up with. Um, what do you think? Anybody want to just toss something out, something that caught your attention in this? Twelve years is a really long time. Okay, somebody in the medical profession, we know now what some of the issues, the women issues are that can cause bleeding. What are some of the conditions, the diagnosable conditions that could cause this kind of bleeding? Okay, uh, w w over here first. Cancer. Cancer. Endometriosis. Fibroids. That, yes. Yeah, is that, is that the polycystic? Yeah. Anything else, you medical people, that I don't know about? So we have names for it now. We also know it's incredibly painful. Okay, what else? What do you notice? Yeah. Right. No. She tried and tried and tried. Yeah. Can you imagine? Can you imagine in that day and age the humiliation of many doctors and, and being driven to poverty trying to just find an answer and, and, and getting worse? And suffered. suffered. Yeah. Yeah, what did they try? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, so the Old Testament law was that you were unclean while you were having your menstrual cycle. And so she'd been unclean for 12 years. And what that means is if anybody else touches an unclean person, they're also unclean. They have to bathe. And then some of the things I read talked about, you know, it would be that night, then you'd be made clean the next day, or it would be seven days. But can you imagine if, if, <laughs> if bathing wasn't something that you did every day, and you accidentally touched someone, so then you had to like go bathe. Like it was, it, it, it would be avoided. Like it would, she would have been isolated for years, and and any touch would have been sort of an accidental touch, um, or from somebody who had counted the cost and said, "Okay, I'll be unclean with you." But but basically, what we can probably assume is it'd been twelve years of pain and of isolation and suffering. What else? What do you notice? Yeah, Trudy. Right. Right. The, a high doubt that there were women doctors. 
Right. Yeah. We could, is it possible? We don't know. But is it possible that there was a, a lack of care um, for what she was going through? Because women weren't super highly regarded. Yeah. 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 That faith that just said, if I could just touch his robe. Can you imagine what Jesus must have been like in person? For someone to have understood by the fact that he was passing by in a crowd and the stories they'd heard about him, that he, that, that if she could just touch his robe. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Right. Wow. Yeah. So the resilience of after 12 years of suffering with doctors and spending everything she owned and not being healed, she still had the faith to reach out to Jesus. Yeah. Sue, I see you. And then Renee, I see you. Yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. She had courage, and I wonder, I mean, was she breaking the law to be in the crowd? I know that lepers had to yell out, unclean, unclean, so that people wouldn't accidentally touch them. I don't know the answer to that question, but, but I, I wonder, is that why she didn't really want to talk with him? She just kind of wanted to touch his robe because she didn't really actually want anybody to know she was in the crowd. Yeah, Renee. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell me if you come back. So the anemia and the, and the energy and the, what it took, washing stuff by hand. Yeah. Okay. Heidi. Right. To the um, oh, interesting. Interesting. Huh. Yeah. At some point, she told someone connected to the author or the author himself uh, the details of that. Yeah. Yeah. And. That's all she felt like she was worthy of. If I can just hide, but get a little bit of the healing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, you two up here. Go ahead, Sarah. Right. 
Right. That, that, that what jumps out at her is that in this big whole crowd, he knew somebody touched him with a purpose. And it specifically said because he felt healing power go out of him, which is a really interesting concept, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I have been involved in prayer times. I've heard stories of prayer times. I've been involved in some myself when my hand feels really, really hot. Or somebody, people who give a testimony of healing will say their back began to feel hot, like the, the, the part that hurts began. To, I don't know what it felt like for Jesus. I don't know what it felt like for her, but something physical happened between them because he felt power go out and she immediately knew that she'd been healed. So there was something physical that happened in the healing that's a little bit mysterious to me. Uh, Teresa. Fair enough. That's why we do this, right? <laughs> Glad I gave you 30 seconds. <laughs> so um, I see this as Jesus asked, who touched my clothes? Yet he knows who did it and is giving the person a chance to get it back on because they broke the law of being a leper in the Roman Empire. Oh, interesting. Okay. So maybe was it was his calling her out an opportunity to repent. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Yep. He wants to know us and he wants us to know that he knows us. And there was something about identifying her that wasn't about, in my heart, it's not about shame. It's about come out of hiding. Like you're worthy of being seen. You're worthy of being known. Yeah. Okay. There, yes, Danielle, and we'll move this way. We're, this is good, you guys. I just didn't even have to write a message. I, this is why I did it this way. Danielle. <laughs> Yeah. Like, A, I can deal with being white or even, and B, in those, like, chaotic moments of I'm on the street and the chaos and, like, if she could go through that just to touch Jesus in, like, the mom chaos, how can I not just, like, pray to God hmm. or ask God for help in those moments of, like, okay, I just have to get dinner on the table. Okay, we just have to get bedtime. Okay, we just have to get food, sure. right? Like, those next yeah. I'm like, so it's... Yeah. Oh my goodness, like maybe I'm setting the wrong goal. Hmm. Like maybe I need to be like, maybe I just need to like pray for her. Hmm. Yeah, so it, it kind of calls you higher and challenges you in your own life to how am I reaching out to Jesus in the midst of this stuff for me? Yeah, yeah, Trudy. Yeah, right? Right. 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 
I imagine also that she felt and lived with some level of shame. I mean, can you, so this malady in that day and time with lack of understanding of what it is, is there, is there some expectation that something's wrong with her? Uh, you know, remember the story of the man born blind and the disciples actually asked who sinned, this man or his parents? So were there people around her who thought that she was in some secret sin and that's why she was bleeding for 12 years? We don't know, but to be called out, there was, there was fear and there, she was trying to get in and out of this without being seen and Jesus called her out and that was, that was a scary place and are we scared too? Some of the reason I'm repeating everything that's said is because we're recording and if you were listening to this on podcast, you have no idea what this discussion was. So uh, Julie, you had a thought. Yeah, we see Jesus over and over and over again interacting with women in ways that the religious leaders of the day condemned, right? Yeah, Melissa, I see that hand. You had to come out from behind the post, didn't you? <laughs> Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So the call to come tell your story is a call to celebration. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You guys, this is good. I, I hardly feel like I need, like, I hope that you're catching things from others and just seeing things in a different perspective. Here are some of the things that jumped out at me. And here are the ways that I see these reflecting on the God who loves us. What does this story tell us about the God who loves us? So a couple things that, um, that we didn't necessarily talk about in our discussion. The first one was this. Jesus got out of the boat and was faced with an urgent need. There was a little girl who was dying, okay? And the woman didn't want to stop him in his progress to get to the girl who was dying. Uh, Jesus was interruptible. She just wanted to touch his robe, but he stopped and he took a moment and he was interruptible in the face of the urgent to the extent that the girl died, <laughs> okay? So when we think about our own lives and the things that we don't feel merit God's attention, the things that we say, well, they've got it worse than me, so really I shouldn't feel bad about this, or I shouldn't complain about this, or I shouldn't really be, I, how often do we judge our own feelings? Well, I don't have a right to grieve this because it's not as bad as the thing that they're grieving. Friends, Jesus is interruptible, and the urgent for somebody else does not mean that he does not have the time or the power or the heart to care about you and your name and your need and the thing that is so intimately um, painful for you that it, it, you just want to touch his robe and go away. 
Because if you think about this issue for her, she'd seen a lot of doctors. She had suffered. She'd lost all of her money. Her neighbors had to have known that she was unclean all these years. And yet it's this most intimate, painful thing. And Jesus is interruptible. He stops to look her in the eye, to talk with her. I love that the urgent did not keep Jesus from attending to this beloved daughter. The second thing I see is this. Um, Listen to this part, okay? So she says, it says, immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she'd been healed of her terrible condition. So she's healed, okay? Then she has a conversation with Jesus and he says, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. In one of the other books, it says, Jesus says you're healed, and then later he says you're healed. And the question is, was Jesus just repeating himself, or were there two things happening here? And I wonder if there were two things happening here. Because when Jesus saw her, and he looked her in the eye, and he knew her, he understood that there were two deep wounds in her life, probably more. But the one that was obvious was the physical need, and she needed her bleeding to stop, and it did But it wasn't over then. And that's what I see when Jesus calls her out. When he says, who touched me? No, somebody touched me. And then he actually makes her, it can seem cruel. (laughs) This is why I flipped to Luke, right? When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. And the whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she'd been immediately healed. I think this picture that several of us brought up, this wasn't to shame her. I believe that at least a piece of it was to let the crowd know to knock it off. (laughs) Because he said, your suffering is over. Because here are your neighbors, and here are your friends, and here are your families, and they know that I have touched you, and I have not condemned you for being unclean. I have not corrected you for being in a crowd when you were unclean. I have looked you in the eye, and I have said, your faith has made you well. Go in what? Go in peace. This is no longer your lot in life anymore. Your suffering is over. Why? Because he made her tell the people in her life what he was doing in her life, even though it exposed the intimate pain of her life as they celebrated that she was healed from that pain. He was healing, he he was aiming at two things. He was aiming at her body, but he was also aiming at her heart. I need to pause here for a minute and explain something. I know that there are women in this room for whom the issue of bleeding is not a theoretical conversation. And that when we talk about issues of bleeding, we are talking about issues of infertility. And many of you have not seen healing for that. And you sit here with a wide array of grief and journey and wounding. When I was getting ready for this, I spoke with somebody who knew that this was the passage I was going to talk on. And she had specifically been wounded by people using this passage against her. If you just had the faith. Friends, when we come to God's word, we do not come with a blank slate of just our laughter and our retreat. And and just what does God say? We come to God's word with life underneath us. With the weight of of our pains and our losses 
and our hurts. And for you, it might not have been bleeding or infertility, but something equally as intimate that you just don't talk about because it is just such at the core of who you are. And I just, I, I need you to know that I don't say what I'm saying flippantly. And I don't bring this passage to us to say, see, if you just have enough faith, then you're going to get well and it's all going to be happy and you're going to get what you want. I come to this passage to say this, Jesus saw her in her brokenness and he didn't just heal her physically, he healed her spiritually and mentally and emotionally And there are those of you who are on a journey and you need to know that God sees beyond what's happening in the external to the internal. And he is is not mystified. It is not a mystery to him what is going on in the most intimate places of your heart, the deepest disappointments, the deepest pains. And I don't know how he does that, but I know that in that moment, I have to believe that in that moment, she felt cherished by Jesus. Seen known, released, healed. Ladies, we live on a broken planet between the perfection of the garden and the perfection of heaven, and we all know that there are some healings that don't happen here, and we know that there are some healings that do, but we know this beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is in the business of taking what the enemy means for evil and turning it to his good. He's in the business of taking things that are broken and redeeming them and turning them into his good, into his plan. Does that mean that he wanted it to happen in the first place? I personally don't think so. I think there are things that happen on this sinful planet that are sin, that are aligned with evil, that God would not want to happen if if, if the world was working in the perfection of the garden or the perfection of heaven. I believe that's why he teaches us to pray, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, because currently his will is not done on earth as it is in heaven. This is why we need to ask him for this. But when we bump against a life, whether it's something in our own life, our own sin, our own pain, our own brokenness, or someone in something else's life where someone else makes a decision in their pain and their brokenness that impacts us, do we believe that God is in the business of redeeming even that? It's where we hold two things simultaneously as true that feel like they're opposites. Something bad or painful or grievous is happening in life, and yet in God's economy, we are growing and deepening, and being transformed, and being healed. And would I say, oh, good for this bad thing? Absolutely not. But what I say, we serve a God who loves us and will bring redemption for those things that weigh so heavily on us. Yes, those things are true at the same time. Jesus heals both her physical suffering and her isolation at that time. I want us to pause for just a minute. I I want you to think about, and this is not going to be something that I ask you to share in your small group. Okay, that's not where we're going with this. Unless you have somebody you deeply trust and you want to share something, okay? It's not going to be a bait and switch. Hey, think about this. Okay, now, like the woman, now everybody come out of hiding and tell each other. Some of you might feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit to tell someone tonight. That might be part of your healing journey. But some of you might not have the ability to even think of it if you thought there was a chance that you might have to tell someone. And today, the wind might just be acknowledging that it's your need, Right? So I want you to think for a second about what is that internal, intimate need that you have that you've either compared yourself with others and said, well, I shouldn't really even need or want that because other people have it worse than me. Or um, God doesn't have time for that. He's got the urgent, you know, 
or I just can't even voice it because it's too shameful. Like, I, I don't know what it is for you, but I want you to think for a minute. What is that thing that for you would, would push you out in the crowd? Would make you desperate enough to say, if I could just touch his robe. <laughs> Remember later in the Gospels uh, when Paul um, uh, sorry, Barbara's in the room. I shouldn't go off on tangents I don't really biblically know real well. <laughs> One of the apostles, uh, I think Paul, maybe Peter, somebody correct me who knows their theology better than me and their, their Bible, would just walk past and the people would wait in their shadow. Peter? Peter. Yeah, people would wait and where he was going to walk by so that if his shadow fell, they'd be healed. God, there's, people, there's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the blood of Jesus. What's that thing inside? Maybe somebody over here said it. You've been suffering for so long, you think, I just can't even take that to Jesus because I can't even afford to hope that maybe this time he would meet me. Got it in your mind? I don't mind. There's this, um, it's not really a theory of teaching unless it's just a Jennifer theory of teaching. Maybe a Jennifer and Laura theory of teaching. When we share with one another, it's important to uh, model and demonstrate vulnerability so that we all know that this is a safe space to be vulnerable. But it's also important that if we've got raw, nerve-ending kind of pain in our life, that we share that with the people who are our safe people. So uh, why do I say all that tonight? Because I, I'm probably not going to share my deepest, most intimate thing right here with all 80 of you. Love you, think you're great, but that's going to be reserved for the people in my life who are my safe people. But I just need you to know that I've got it in my mind too. I'm, I don't stand up here without my own, okay? So in light of that, let's talk about the God who loves us. The God who loves us, who has enough power for everyone, enough time for everyone, enough space for everyone, who's interruptible and who's disruptible. The God who loves us, who doesn't think, see the urgent as more important than the thing that you are holding in your mind and heart right now, but he sees you as just as valuable and just as important as the daughter who was dying. Uh, by the way, push pause in this. One of the things I love about this story or that I wonder about this story, and I'm not even going to open it back up because it's taking too long to find it. But when you go on to read about Jairus, they say, your daughter is dead. You don't need to bother the teacher anymore. And I have wondered, I don't know. This is not, I, I don't know you guys. This is just my own personal wondering about scripture, same as you guys did as we were talking tonight. Were any of them kind of looking at the woman like, if you hadn't interrupted, Jesus might've been able to save this girl. Were any of them blaming her? Was any of that with an attitude of, um, don't bother the teacher, it's already too late. And we know, because we can read it in the next 10 verses, that it wasn't too late. But, but what were the people in that moment feeling? Was she feeling more shame heaped on top? I don't know, but we know that Jesus had time for her, that Jesus knew what was coming, that he saw her need and interrupted the urgent in order to be present with her. And he's not worried about the urgent that is happening in the lives around people around you to the expense of the need that you need him to heal for you. He has enough space for all of us. The God who loves us sees our heart. He knows us. He wants to know us, and he wants us to know that he knows us. 
He sees the inner part of us and he sees our outer pain and none of it is a mystery to him. He knows exactly what we need. And the God who loves us invites us to approach his throne with confidence. Barbara brought this one up earlier today, and I just want to read it to us. This is from Hebrews um, 4, chapter 16. It says this. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. And that's the invitation I have for you tonight. Whatever you're comfortable with in terms of who you're going to talk to, who you're going to pray with, what you're going to do with this, I don't mind tonight. I hope you'll take one step further. For some of you, that might just be naming this as a need, and that's all you can do. For others of you, it might be naming it as a need and sitting with God and imagining yourself coming boldly to that throne of grace, believing that he can help you with the thing that you need the most. We're going to have some time for worship, for prayer. We're going to take communion together tonight. Um... But what I do want us to know is that we can come before God and we can come out of hiding. We can name our need and we can come out of hiding. And the God who meets us there is the same God who paused for the woman with the issue of bleeding of 12 years, who had suffered under many doctors and spent all that she had to try to find solutions and was only getting worse. That same God, he's here in the room with us tonight. And he wants us to name our need and to come out of hiding and to let him help us in the places where we need it most. In your booklet, under this session, session four it is, it says small group discussion questions. We're not actually using those as small group discussion questions tonight. We're using these for personal reflection tonight. So uh, Natalie is going to come up and lead us through our um, receiving song of God Let This Truth Sink In. And then please feel free to make your way around the room. Maybe go downstairs. Some of you are feeling as hot as I am. You just need to go outside for a breather. But we're going to have about 15 minutes for you just to have some quiet reflection time to look at these questions, to write down some thoughts, maybe write some things in your journal. Uh, but just spend some time with Jesus and Jesus alone about this thing that rises in your heart. Uh, and then we're going to come back up here. Uh, so it is 821. So we're going to be back here for worship at 840. Okay. So just some time on your own. Please respect the quiet of this room and don't talk with each other and interrupt people. Just this is some time for some reflection. Hey, as we keep worshiping together, there are a few invitations I have for you tonight. Uh, we're going to spend some time just lingering in this room together. Um, some of you in that last 20 minutes, you met Jesus and you have gratitude in your heart. And some of you in that last 20 minutes, all there was really time was for the why to come up a little bit higher and to wonder why is this where I am? And I would just encourage you from the words of this morning. When life is turned upside down, there's a choice on our response. And will we be like Joseph, even when he's still a slave or still in prison, to look to God's faithfulness and to look for his redemption to come? Or like the persistent widow, to ask and to ask and to ask again. Is the burner turned up? <laughs> That's the place that Jesus is waiting and meeting us. Ask him to show you his redemption in this place. You might want to pray with someone. You might want to pray on your own. 
You might want to pray with a friend. You might want to pray with somebody you've met in your small group. But if you want to pray with someone and you're not sure who, there's some women that I spoke with today who are going to be around the back. Um, and because I don't have special name tags for you, um, if I talked with you, do you just mind standing up now and moving that way so they know who's there? So thank you, Rachel and Susan and Morgan and Anne and Karen. And so they're going to be in the back. And if you want to pray with someone, they'd be happy to pray with you. Uh, communion is in the back also. So prayer people scoot a little farther to the sides so that if people are coming back for communion um, and you can go back with a friend, you can go back on your own. When we celebrate communion, this is the remembrance of God's body broken for us and his blood shed for us, which is why he's in this room with us today. It's the remembrance of his healing power at work for us. And you may just want to be present in the room and worship. Natalie's going to keep leading us in song. We're going to worship. We're going to be present with Jesus. But there's a number of ways to respond to this. Um, so don't rush out. I will dismiss us at some point, And some will want to linger. And some will want to get over to the social. Um, but we're going to worship and just spend some time together. So make yourself at home. Go where you want. Stand. Sit. Take communion. Get prayer. Be present.